Welcome to Matthew's World of Wine and Drink, an educational podcast dedicated to teaching you all about the wines of the world, the different regions, the different styles, the different grape varieties, and the history and culture of wine. Continuing our series on fortified wine, we turn to port, and in this episode we're going to look at the history of that great Portuguese wine, how it's developed over the centuries, and why it tastes like it does, and has the trade structure that it does. For the beginnings of port, we have to go back to the 1600s and look at the history between England and France, two of the most powerful nations in Europe at the time. And during the 1600s, there was constantly tension between the two countries, which culminated in 1693 with William III, the English king, imposing taxes on French wine. This, of course, was an issue for the English, because they loved that wine, and so they had to seek an alternative at a better price, and merchants looked towards Portugal, an ally of England's. And this relationship was augmented further in 1703, when the Methuen Treaty was signed between the two countries, which imposed very favourable tariffs on Portuguese products, including wine. And this meant that Portuguese wine throughout the 1700s was extremely popular in England and Britain as it became when England and Scotland unified in 1707. The area that the merchants focused on was the Douro, the warm inland region from the city of Porto. And what happened in this region is that the fermentation was fast because of the warm conditions and that produced a deep coloured rich wine. And then the wine was shipped from Porto to England in barrels because bottles didn't exist at that time, not for shipping anyway. And because the distance was quite long, brandy was added to the wines by the merchants. In essence, fortifying the wine. But that wasn't to change the taste, it was to stabilise the wine for the long journey. But that style of wine became popular with a fast fermentation, brandy added to it, the deep coloured, fruity, rich, strong wines became synonymous with Portugal and the style of choice for many um, drinkers in London and elsewhere in the country. And such was the popularity and importance of the Douro that it was the first region to be delimited in Europe, and that was in 1756, and the regulations were created by the Marques de Pombal, a very important Portuguese politician at the time, who was actually from the Douro, which is why he really favoured that region. And that just meant that the grapes for the wines from the Douro had to come from specific parts of that region, something that um, is very common around the world now, that delimitation, but the Douro was the first place for that to happen. The importance of the British market for the Portuguese and for port in particular is still felt today, still an important market, although France is actually the biggest market for port now because they drink ruby port as an aperitif and the US is also important. But the significance of that British market can be seen in the names of some of the historic producers, such as Taylor, Fladgate, Croft, Graham, War. Cockburn or Symington, all British or Irish names. And these go right back to the early days. Croft was uh, founded in 1678, Taylor in 1692. So really going back to the first days when Portuguese wine became popular in um, England. And these producers were all based in Villa Nova de Gaia, which is a city across the river from Porto. And, the, and Villa Nova de Gaia had the perfect conditions for ageing wine because it's cool and humid. We think of Portugal as being a hot country, but on the coast it is cool and wet. In fact, Porto is one of the wettest cities in Europe. And so the wines were aged in Villa Nova de Gaia because of those perfect conditions, but also because ageing the wine in the Douro was extremely difficult. The wines would be made there and be made quickly with that fast fermentation. And then they would be shipped along the river Douro to uh, Villa Nova de Gaia, where the wines would be aged. 
And the Doro had that difficulty because it's so obscure a region. It wasn't until 1987 that the Doro was accessible by road. The only, way to, the only two ways to get to the Doro were by boat or by donkey. And so aging the wines there and all those barrels was very difficult. Add to that the very warm conditions there and, and very little modern uh, technology. The Doro was simply for making the wines, not for aging the wines. But a lot has changed over the last 40 to 50 years. First of all, the fascist dictatorship collapsed in the mid-1970s, leading to modernization in the country. And then in 1986, the Portugal joined the EU. And so modernization, very simply, things that we take for granted, such as electricity, which didn't exist in the region until the 1970s, and then that road access I was talking about, which was built with EU money. Also, EU regulations uh, stopped some of the monopolies which had been take, put in place by the fascist government. For example, the spirit used to fortify port was uh, distributed by a government authority and was very low quality. In 1992, that monopoly was removed and the quality of the spirit used for port has improved dramatically and improving the style of port in, in, in general because the spirit is such an important part of how port is made and how it tastes. Lots of other things have happened in the last 40 to 50 years. Overall, sales have declined, and that's just something that has uh, fortified wine has in common, and that's since the Second World War. But that has led to some opportunities. There's been a great diversification in port. Up until the 1960s, the only two styles of wine made and released on the market were vintage and ruby. So ruby being the inexpensive fruity style of port, still made today, and vintage being the expensive age-worthy style of port, and that's quite a difference in price and quality. In the late 1960s, Ruby Reserve was introduced as a higher quality style of Ruby from better fruit. In the 1970s, late bottled vintage was introduced as an alternative to vintage at a better price where the wine has been aged by the producer rather than relying on the consumer to age it at their own cost. And then also the category of tawny port has been diversified, and so now we have 10-year-old, 20-year-old, 30-year-old, 40-year-old tawny ports, giving an age designation, age designation at a higher price and a higher quality than standard tawnies. So there's been a great diversification. Because quantity has gone down, quality has gone up. There has to be an emphasis on that. Other changes uh, have been forced. For example, emigration had a huge effect on uh, the poor region of Douro. Lots of people leaving and that meant there was an acute labour shortage and that was particularly felt in the tradition of foot treading the grapes which we'll talk about when we look at the production in a different episode. But up until the 1970s all the port was treaded by foot but the labour shortage meant that wasn't possible and so mechanised alternatives had to be introduced. What's also happened, because of the accessibility of the Douro region, which is still relatively new, small growers can now make their own wine because they actually have access to te technology and facilities which they didn't used to have. Also, the big producers are now much more based in the Douro rather than Villanova de Gaia because ageing is possible in the region, because air conditioning is possible, electricity exists that didn't used to. So producers are much more closer to their um, actual grapes and where the wine is being made. So everything is much more coordinated. And that's also led to the single Kinta style of wine, which is an alternative to vintage wine coming from just the one estate that the producer owns, almost like a single vineyard or single estate wine, and giving that a relationship between where the wine was made and where the grapes were grown, and also how the wine has been aged.
But there are still lots and lots of small growers in the Douro. There's actually 34,000 growers, and 80% of them own less than half a hectare of land. So extremely fragmented and extremely small, and most of those growers are uh, growing their grapes and selling them to the big producers. With the uh, vineyard structure, some of it still goes back to the fascist days, which was quite a very protectionist regime, and introduced structures to kind of maintain high prices to protect the growers. And so there are still remnants of that structure with the beneficio system. And this system is on a year-by-year -year basis, the vineyards are rated from A to I. So A being the highest and I being the lowest. If the vineyard is rated A or B, then 550 to 600 litres of port can be made per 1,000 vines. So quite a strict regu regulation. Once you get to F and below, it's actually not allowed to make port. So that beneficio system really does designate what goes into port and the quality. Moreover, producers can only sell one-third of their stock each year. And so that's very important for protecting the producers in the difficult years, the fallow years, making sure they've always got stock in reserve. And remembering also that most port is a blend of different vintages. And so you've always got a stock to uh, make the ruby and the other styles of port. So that's the changes that have happened in the last 40 years. So port's history goes back to the 1600s, but a lot of things have changed with their port in the last 40 years. So although we think about it, it's a very historic drink. Um, a lot has changed. And so what future trends may take place in the port industry? Well, over the last 10 years, we've seen further diversification with the introdu introduction of pink port or rosé port, which has been done under the Croft label. So something that can be served chilled and fresh, quite different from the heavy uh, um, after drink after meal style of port that which we usually associate with the drink. And so I'm thinking in the future we'll see further diversification and trying to really capture different markets. And certainly there will be a continued emphasis on quality over quantity, which is, as I said, taking place in general across the fortified wine industry and definitely true in port. So that's an overview of port. In the next episode, we'll look at the Douro, its climate, and the, and the terraces and the regions, and some of the changes that have taken place in the Douro, which we've already mentioned. So thank you for listening. This is Matthew, and this has been Matthew's World of Wine and Drink.